A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. In the words of Rafael Nadal, we say goodbye to a year that is better to forget without any doubt. Uh, those words quoted by our own Matt Roberts on Twitter very perfectly to ring in the new year. So thank you, Matt, for bringing those words into all of our lives. Yes, and he said it with a raised eyebrow, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, better to forget. Uh, I'm not sure any of us will, but hooray, it's 2021. Welcome to what hopefully will be a better year and the benchmark is low. Yeah, it already feels better. <laughs> um, we welcome into the year 2021 our first weekly pet mascot. I'm like David with the first aggro show. I'm like <laughs> waiting to burst through the Zoom screen uh, because I'm so excited about this. Uh, and in particular, I mean, obviously, they're all wonderful. If, you, if you've if you bagsied yourself a pet mascot slot in our Kickstarter, then it's, it's going to be great. I am going to fall in love with your pet. Don't worry. But I am very excited about lovely Roxy who is kicking things off for us. Roxy uh, is owned by lovely Julie, um, who for the past, is it three years yeah. that Julie has been our very first Kickstarter backer? A three-peat. A three-peat. It's, I always think of um, that opening round on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, the fastest finger first yeah. <laughs> round, which I think Julie would absolutely nail. She'd get in the hot seat every time. Go on, Julie. Go Into. on, Julie. Uh, Julie's Roxy, and uh, she has sent us a package of uh, content, re-Roxy, which we'll be drip-feeding on our social media throughout the week. Uh, Roxy is a nearly nine-year-old haverjack, which extraordinarily is a breed of dog I was not previously aware of. So I've learned something about canines this week, um, which is a Havanese Jack Russell mix. Um, very appropriately, very aptly for, for week one, um, custody of Roxy is shared between Julie and her brother Peter, um, which is the arrangement that I've got going with, with Billie Jean. 
So that's all very lovely. Uh, and we'll be telling you more about Roxy in the newsletter. There'll be pictures of her. Um, I'll tease you by telling you she's had quite the haircut this week. Before and after pictures are going to be available. So hello, Roxy. Thanks for being our mascot. And hello, Julie. And thanks for your your three-peat of support. It's all very much appreciated. Shout-outs are back as well. You have to wait to the end of uh, end of the episode for those. Or alternatively, this is your warning to turn off about a minute and a half before the end of the episode <laughs> if you don't enjoy the shout-out portion of proceedings. Um, and we've got presenter mascots as well, of which news later. Uh, I'll tell you all at the end of the show. So there you go. People that were going to switch off that don't like the shout outs now are thinking, oh, but I want to hear about the presenter mascot. So <laughs> I've kept you all on your toes there. Um, but with that admin out of the way, and I don't think this time around there's any tennis news to bring you. I mean, players are sort of making their way to various places, mostly the Middle East, aren't we? We're starting to see pictures of tennis players on planes. Um but apart from tennis players boarding planes, um, there's not really any news, I don't think, to report. There's nothing standing in the way, David, of us and agro. No, which is the way I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so without further ado, shall we resume our Tennis's Best of Agro countdown? We got down to, to number six last time. I'll remind you of the parameters of this in case you missed Agro 1. Who missed Agro One? I mean, really, nobody. And if they did, they're all, they're already pausing this one to go and listen to that one. But we have very specifically chosen a particular subset of Agro, which is Agro that makes us smile, pantomime style Agro, not Agro with a nasty edge or particularly negative consequences. Look, there'll be a, there'll be a couple of things in this one that do have a slight dark underbelly, and we won't shy away from those. But basically, this is all harmless childish pantomime aggro that we're allowed to smile at and if you don't like that definition as i said last time there's no other podcast offering a best of aggro <laughs> uh, selection so you'll just have to lump it <laughs> um david's like god if i was presenting this would be uh this would be a lot less sort of aggressive <laughs> Uh, but it is the agro episode, so uh, it only feels appropriate. So we're going to start with number five, uh, just to remind you uh, of who was in at 10 to 6 last time. We had a Serena Yankovic incident in Dubai. We had uh, a Sara Arani medley in at 8, in particular her Why You Say Vamos incident. Uh, sorry, that was at number 9. At number 8, we had the very infamous or famous moment between... Kim Sears, or sort of more than a moment, really, the the extended incident between Andy Murray, Thomas Burdick, and latterly Kim Sears. Uh, then we had Roddick's rant about Djokovic, followed by Djokovic's rant about Roddick to the US Open crowds. And then we had John McEnroe in Sweden in 1984 uh, saying, what was it he said, David? He, he said, answer the question. <laughs> the question, jerk. <laughs> That's what I wanted. We got it. <laughs> <laughs> 
more impersonations may or may not be coming over the course of this episode. Uh, for number five, I don't think impersonations will be required because the audio captures it so perfectly. And I'm not sure even if you were trying to satirise it, you could do better comic delivery than than Andy Murray himself in either of the two clips that we're going to play because we've done a bit of an Andy Murray medley for number five because we couldn't choose between his two greatest aggro hits and uh, we didn't want him, you know, clogging up the whole of the top ten because there were so many great uh, entries to choose from. So it's a little bit of a, a an Andy Murray duo and we start with Andy Murray and Fabio Fanini at the Shanghai Masters in 2019. Um, this is, of course, one of Andy Murray's comeback events after his hip resurfacing surgery. Um, he plays that swing, doesn't he, in China and obviously ends up winning winning that tournament in, in Antwerp indoors, sort of at the end of that swing. Um, he's battled through in three sets against Juan Londero in the opening round and he's facing Fabio Fanini in round two, it's a set all and five all, um, and Murray is serving and has a point for for six five, which he wins with an easy put away volley. Um, and let's remember that this is a huge opportunity for him to be a top ten player. Fabio Fanini is ranked number ten in the world at this point, and that would be huge for Andy Murray and he's in a position maybe to go and go and win. So he clinches the point. He's leading 6-5 and then this ensues. Murray leads six games to five. You say the same to everyone. You say that, mate, you do the same in every match, doesn't matter who you're playing. I know exactly. I know exactly. So, so what happened? When I had a volley on top of the net, yeah. he shouts, yeah. shut up. When I have a volley on top of the net, he shouts and then tells me, don't look at me. I'm like, you just shouted in the middle of the You're telling me stuff that I know. I understand. Yeah, but he's the one. You're not giving me any chance to deal with him. You're not giving me any chance to deal with him. If you sit down, I'll take it. The shut up is just one of the most epic things that's ever been said on a tennis court, in my opinion. I mean, the most, the most gifable, one of the most gifable moments in tennis history, I would say. And as we, as we were saying right throughout Agro episode one, the most important thing about Agro is that they own it afterwards and don't back down. Well, bless Andy Murray. <laughs> <laughs> because um, Fanini went on to win that match on a on a tie break. We all watched that, incidentally, didn't we? At a at a steak restaurant in Solihull. I remember vividly. Mm. Those were um, uh, very happy memories. And, and we and we played it for the restaurant, basically. We <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did. We were those people. Um, so Murray loses a very close match. He's asked about that incident in press. And let's just say he's he's not ready to let it go. So I had a volley on top of the net. So, someone, yeah, someone made a noise. I didn't know who made the noise. I looked in the direction of where the noise came from. He then told me, stop looking at me. What are you looking at me for? And I was like, well, I had a, was just about to hit a shot and someone made a noise. 
he then was saying, telling me to stop looking at him, which normally when someone shouts in the middle of a point, this is pretty rare that that happens. Um, and then, yeah, he told me to stop complaining, to have a sense of humour that, you know, <laughs> when you have a volley on top of the net, you know, you're not going to miss it. And I was like, no, oh, I know I'm not going to miss it, but I wanted to know where the noise, the sound came from. And it came from him, which you're not allowed to do. It's against the rules. It's hindrance. You shouldn't do it. But he said that I should have a sense of humour about that. And neither of us, I, I would say in that moment, neither of us were in sort of a joking, laughing kind of mood. Um, and that was, that was the issue that I had. Oh, it's cracking, isn't it? Like, I know I'm not going to lose the point. Uh, it's just the the dog with the bone mentality of these yeah. players when they get in in a. I mean, it's competitive dialogue as well as everything else, isn't it? They just can't let it go, and and he's he's one of the extremes of that. I love him for it as a, as a player. I love watching him because, yeah, it's I am not backing down. No chance. No matter how petty it gets. I would be I would be exactly the same. Like I know I'm right. I don't care how petty I sound. I will I will make sure you all know I'm right. Um yeah. Oh it's sensational. Yes. And I think we need a moment to appreciate the incredible delivery of shut up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just he's treating Fanini like the child that Fanini is acting like. Uh, with of unfortunately, uh, the podcast medium doesn't allow us to convey this. the The YouTube clips will be made available. The links to them in our show notes, as as with the previous episode. Uh, but the hand motions that accompany the shut up, and in fact, all of the outburst on the court are are quite sensational. And there is a moment where Fanini sort of does a, a mock impersonation of the hand, the, the, the arm flailing that Andy Murray is, is doing. He's, he's stood up at the net sort of hand on hip with the other hand sort of flailing around in gestures while Fergus Murphy's just saying, yeah, I, I know he's being child. Just let, just let me deal with it. This I quite enjoy the way Fergus just so you're not telling me anything I don't already know. <laughs> <I love> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course... The, the the running theme between this Andy Murray entry and its co-entry, which takes us back to Munich 2015, is the theme of Andy Murray picking up on a player doing something that they're well known for doing repeatedly on the tour and almost feeling like he's picking the fight for the rest of the tour. Um, because in Munich 2015, it's the quarterfinals, um, and Andy Murray is taking on Lucas Russell uh, of Once Upon a Time Beating Nadal fame. Um, and Lucas Russell shoulder barges Murray at the change of ends midway through the first set. The first set, incidentally, that, that Lucas Russell won 6-4. Um, M- Murray immediately at that point looks up to the umpire, Cedric Murray, um, nothing really happens. He just does a sort of, what, you're not going to do anything about that um, gesture. And then upon resumption, Russell is at the baseline waiting to serve and Andy Murray just just can't let it go. No one likes you on the Everyone Please. 
For anyone that couldn't quite hear that, and I did turn the levels up as high as I could without too much distortion, he says, nobody likes you. And then doubles down and said, nobody likes you on the tour. Uh, <laughs> um, which it might sound unkind and potentially is unkind. Um, but just for a bit of background, I mean, Lucas Russell was pretty well known for this stuff wasn't he? He had done some kicking over of Rafael Nadal's water bottles at Wimbledon, um, which I know doesn't sound like an act of war, but in <laughs> tennis terms, that is kind of, you know, that's shooting Franz Ferdinand, isn't it? That is it's really massive. Um, and the previous week um, in Bucharest, Russell had been playing Guillermo Garcia Lopez. And Garcia Lopez, I couldn't find footage of this. I could only find write-ups. Garcia Lopez seemed to kind of forget about the handshake at the net momentarily uh, and, and then remembers and goes to shake Russell's hand. <laughs> and Russell, um, being not the bigger man, uh, snubs him, like takes his hand away and refuses to, to shake it. Um, so he's... He's got a bit of previous and Andy Murray wanted to, to make that point. I mean, it was a bit like, you know, Maradona against you, David, after you'd shoulder barged him early on in your match. So did you deserve what was coming to you after that? If someone, if Maradona had started sledging you and saying nobody likes you on tour, mate? How would yeah, you I, mean, I, I, I believe it was even worse than that. Everybody hates you. I think he actually said, which which sounds even more extreme. Um, but uh, yeah, Maradona, God rest his soul, wasn't very happy with me after I knocked him over. Um, but Russell, he is an interesting one, isn't he? Because he was quite happy to get in Nadal's face back mm. at that during that match. And and uh, when I, when I interviewed him in, um, I interviewed him at the U.S. Open ahead of a match, maybe against Murray again, I can't remember who who he played, but we were interviewing him as the British press, so it must have been. And it was after this incident, and I asked him about his run-in with Andy Murray, uh, and his face turned in an instant. I remember from... you telling me about this, and I felt awkward just hearing you relay the story. But I had to ask, being there? you know, I had to ask. I was doing the radio questions first for BBC Radio. All the journalists were behind me. So you know you've got to ask because you, <laughs> you're in – I mean, partly partly it's your job, but also I'm in front of everybody. I can't I can't bottle it. And they're right? all thinking, I'll see how it goes for David. Yeah. yeah. He, so you're, just, you're their canary down the mine. I bowled in, and of course I'm – of their number, the only one that is actually able to to look eye to eye or even slightly look down on six foot five inch Lucas Russell. So I I, I think I pretty much went on my tiptoes to just try to <laughs> make sure he realised that I was going to do this uh, and I wasn't going to back down. So I asked him. I just said, you know, and I repeated it back to him. Andy Murray said um, on court that everybody hates you <laughs> in a match. Um, what what is your, you know, what, what's your view of that now, all this time on? And uh, and he just looked me in the eye, the stoniest look imaginable, and he just said, have you got another question? Oh. And I said, no. Oh, this, this don't is you like chilling. That question? chilling. Why don't you just answer that one? Did and, you say uh, that? You don't yeah. like that question? Oh. I said, oh. Do you, do you, do you, why, don't you, why don't you want to answer that one? And uh, and he just sort of 
he he kind of answered it. I mean, but he didn't for a moment stop trying to make me feel uncomfortable. But I just carried on, did did what I was supposed I mean, to do. Is his, that does seem to be his tactic, doesn't it? Yeah. Make people feel uncomfortable. But against those top guys, it it rarely works, does it? I mean, he, he won that first set and went on to lose the match. You know, it's like we were saying about Murray and, and Burdick the other day. Mm. And you were saying that in commentary, you knew that as soon as Burdick got embroiled in that, yeah. he, he'd kind of lost I'm, lost his I'm, grip on it. I was trying to remember when you were describing the Fanini episode, I was trying to remember who won the match. And I was quite surprised to find out that Murray didn't win. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, me too. I remember thinking once you've told your opponent to shut up, you really need to win. <laughs> Ideally. <laughs> but I think I think Russell against Nadal was the exception, wasn't it, to that rule. It did work at Wimbledon for him. Mm. But most of the time, as you say, it, it ruffles their feathers and they, they get a bit of extra motivation out of it, these top players. And I think possibly the distinction between the two, and I don't know here because I don't have quotes from Fanini about the incident, but I suspect Fanini could laugh at it and laugh at himself in a way that maybe Lucas Russell, it sounds like, wasn't in the mood for laughing. No, it doesn't seem the type to me to go away and laugh about it afterwards. No, no. no. Thank you, though, Lucas, for yeah. providing us much aggro over the years. It's been a joy. And thank you, Andy Murray, for your spectacular comic delivery. Uh, so that is in at number five. In at four, it's over to David. And the entry that, that was supposed to to be in last week's episode. Yeah. I, I would say of, of all of them, this is maybe the one that I don't walk away just with a smile on my face about. I feel conflicted about this and it was there was an, there's, there is an unpleasant edge to it but also it is very amusing at the same time and for it we're going to go back 25 and a half years to 1995 Wimbledon and Jeff Tarango um, Matt's, Matt's not born <laughs> are you not born Matt no I'm 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 a year away oh crikey that feels terrible <laughs> um the previous round, this is the first year I'd ever been to Wimbledon and I'd queued all night on the streets to get into Wimbledon and I'd gone out to court number two to have a look at a match involving the exciting young Ukraine player, uh, Andrei Medvedev. And he was getting beaten by an American I'd never heard of called Jeff Tarango. Um, so Tarango wins this match. And and I remember going away, and that was quite a shock. You know, Medvedev, a lot was being spoken about him, and, um, and so this was a big deal. Um, and then I got home a couple of days later, and I turned on the TV, and Des Lynham, the great TV presenter of the day, who used to present Grandstand and, and, and the Wimbledon coverage on the BBC, he suddenly adopted that serious face of his as he said... Something has happened at Wimbledon today, the likes of which we have never seen before. This was not live. Um, this was recorded. And he said, we've never seen anything like this before. Just have a look at this. We'll play it for you. No, 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 no. I've seen it on TV a million times. That's an ace. Well, how come they can say whatever they want to me? Can you call the supervisor, please? I have a big beef. 
You are the most corrupt official in the game and you can't do that. Code violation, verbal abuse, point penalty, no Mr. Way. Tango. That's it! Guillermo. And so with Jeff Tarango training by a set to love and three games to one in the second set against Alexander Morons. Tarango was 80 in the world. He'd never been beyond the third round of a slam before. So this is a big deal for him. Um, but if you didn't hear, hear completely the first part of that, he actually s- said to the crowd who were slightly heckling him, he told them to shut up and he got given a warning for an audible obscenity, which I think is what really set him off because it's not an audible obscenity. Okay, mm-hmm. it's maybe you shouldn't do it, but but that's what he got given it for and, and, and off it went from there. I'm definitely borrowing the expression, I have a big beef. <laughs> yeah, totally. So am I. <laughs> um, but yeah, T- Tarango then stomped off the court and uh, and the only time it's ever happened, just defaulted himself from the match, just refused to play, left and went back to the locker room. Was he losing? He was a set and 3-1 down. Set and 3-1. But he'd, he'd just snapped. I mean, in the moment, he, he completely snapped. And it doesn't end there because he went into the press conference and, um, and made it considerably worse because he, he didn't back down from any of his pretty slanderous accusations. Um, and, uh, and also his wife was in the press conference room as well. And uh, and she, his ex-wife at the time, and uh, uh, or, or as she is now, and she, um, she He's soon to be ex-wife. <laughs> Let's call her that. She assaulted the umpire as he made his way back to the referee's office. She slapped him around the face. Oh my god! And um, um, and basically tried to defend. Jeff Tarango in the press conference room in front of a full room of journalists and just fight help fight his corner and uh, as he was as well. Um, Tarango was then fined ten thousand uh, pounds by the All England Club, which was the heftiest sum that they had ever imposed for an on court offence. the The penalty was in three parts: uh, six and a half thousand for verbal abuse to the umpire. Um, £250 for unsportsmanlike conduct for telling the crowd to shut up and 3250 for failing to complete the match, resulting in the default. Uh, they found Tarango guilty of aggravated behaviour and conduct contrary to the integrity of the game. Um, and then he was banned from Wimbledon the following year. Um, now, this continued on for some, quite some time because they got to the US Open and uh, and Tarango launched an appeal against the sanctions against him. And he was made aware that, you know, if he, if he were to lose, he would also be banned from the Australian Open. So things were escalating. I mean, I read the press conference that he did at the US Open and it, you could feel the the way this was just following him everywhere and he couldn't he couldn't actually get away from it at all by now he'd really dug himself in deep and uh and his results seemed to be irrelevant really to to the story of him uh, as being the only player who'd ever walked out on a match um by the time december 1995 came he issued a an apology 
via the Grand Slam committee in which he said, I made some public remarks about a tennis official which I sincerely regret and I unequivocally apologise to Mr. Brunner Robert for any embarrassment or harm that this incident may have caused him and his family. I do not intend to make such a mistake ever again. Um, he makes further words to to apologize and and does have his fine reduced because things were were escalating and he was getting more and more into the mire financially because of of not accepting the punishment so it's something that's followed his career really i think wherever he went for quite a few years afterwards any press conference he went in it was it was raised there was a, a point i remember when i first joined the tour in 98 there was a story broke where he challenged John McEnroe to a match because McEnroe was always was was repeatedly saying that the the top 100 players weren't that good and he could beat them and he was in his early champions tour days and he was pretty confident in his own ability he was still playing really good tennis and Durango said all right then okay $250,000 winner take all you and me um and this well, their own a, money like a yeah, bet between yeah, them oh exactly my. this created quite a lot of hype um, but McEnroe never took him up on it, um, and uh, and so it, it didn't happen. Um, and anybody who, who is listening to this from Britain who listens to BBC Radio 5 Live's coverage will know that Jeff Taranga became part of our commentary team from about 2004 onwards. I was actually the person who suggested it, because although... He has, I suppose you could say, a checkered past because of all of this. And it's not the only incident. I mean, he he was the player that the umpires pre-Nick Kyrgios would spend their time discussing how to deal with because he was he was always questioning in a lawyer-like manner and also sometimes a very uh, angry manner the decisions being made during his matches. Um but I also knew that he was he was a really interesting person to listen to and he had a great turn of phrase and I thought, well, he, he could be a good commentator or a good co-commentator for someone like me on the radio. And Five Live loved him and he he's worked for the station ever since. That's 16 years now. And I think he is, an, is a really excellent co-commentator and, and somebody I've got to know very well. So I'm, look, I'm kind of, biased in as much as I really I get on with him and and uh, and I think there is there's good in him but my word that was a there's some, some I don't know whether he whether he regrets those in that incident and or regrets things that he did or said um but I think it's a bit of a shame that he's only sort of talked about for that when you when you first raise his name because when you actually listen to him he's a really good commentator uh, playing devil's advocate here slightly, would he have that broadcasting work were it not for his notoriety? It's possible. It's possible not um, that that he might not. Yeah, I mean, he his highest ranking was forty two in the world. Um, he had a long kind of top hundred career, um, but that definitely put him on the map in the UK. And, and it's 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 what made me think of him back then. Really, is he's a name, and he's and I also think he'll be good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm aware of, very aware of that incident. I couldn't tell you a single one of Jeff Durango's results from his tennis career. I couldn't have told you anything about his tennis career, but I could mm. tell you that he suggested an umpire was the most corrupt <laughs> person in the world. Yeah. 
Um, but I, I mean, obviously it escalated far beyond where it should have done, but I can understand his initial point. There's a, there's a grain of a point in there. And had he express it, expressed it in a more calm and composed well, manner, I mean, you know, in, in the press conference, he had a whole backstory as to the reason he'd arrived at those, <laughs> those words, which, you know, I mean, which it, it, when your soon to be ex-wife is already, you know, slapped, slapped the umpire, that backstory is largely redundant at that stage, isn't it? I, I just feel like the, the, the things that you, you, if you read the transcript of what he said at the time, and I won't, I won't rehash it all here, but I mean, it's, it, it's sort of, it's, there's no proof of it, uh, and and so mm. um, you've kind of, hence why I think he ended up getting the treatment he got um, subsequently. But you're right in as much as in the moment, telling the crowd to shut up is not an audible obscenity, and I think that that just he found that impossible to accept at the time. And telling Fabio Fanini to shut up is not an audible obscenity either, apparently. No, it's actively encouraged. Yes, that's what we're doing here. <laughs> so that's probably our least fun entry on the list, although I will definitely be making a mental note of the phrase, I have a big beef for future aggro with David. Yeah, it's a belter, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So that was number four. In at number three, it's over to Matt. Yes, I am taking us to... An incident involving Naomi Brody and Yelena Ostapenko, which took place in Auckland 2016. Now, 
a, li- a little bit of backstory for this is I found an Instagram post from Ostapenko on the 30th of December 2015 in which she posted a picture of herself practicing at Melbourne Park before flying to New Zealand for Auckland. And she wrote, had a good practice with Naomi Brody. A bit too mm. hot weather in Melbourne, plus 35, some emojis, hashtag me, hashtag practicing, hashtag, hashtag me, hashtag, me, hashtag practicing, hashtag in, hashtag Melbourne, hashtag great, hashtag time, hashtag two, hashtag hot, hashtag work hard, play hard, hashtag Australia. Sorry, hashtag in. <laughs> yeah, hashtag in. <laughs> She's hashtagging the prepositions. Yep, everything. It's all hashtag. This was, you know, five or six years ago. People didn't know how hashtags worked, I think. Did it get engagement? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we can agree that some strange hashtagging aside, all is well in the world between Ostapenko and Naomi Brody. But unfortunately for them, fortunately for us and people everywhere, that peace and harmony is not about to last particularly long. <laughs> uh, because... Cut to seven days later, the 6th of January, 2016, and they're meeting in the quarterfinals of Auckland, the first tournament of the year. Uh, Brody's having a great week. She's knocked out Anna Ivanovic for her first ever top 20 win. She's really got some momentum going. And Ostapenko at this point is relatively unknown. She's she's in the draw as a wild card. Um, Ostapenko leads the match 6-4-5-2, you know, kind of cruising, before Brody starts to make a comeback. And I don't have real data or evidence for this, but I feel like a comeback situation is creating conditions which are ripe for a bit of aggro. So when it, when it, when it gets close and tense, I think you're more likely to be on aggro watch. Um, and the second set goes to a tie break. And then at two all is when the drama comes. Brody hits a forehand winner to secure a mini break. And... As the ball flies past Ostapenko, she flings her racket out of her hand towards the ball boy. And you can't actually see on the video footage, but it does appear from all the discussions that take place that the racket hit the ball boy. Not not injuring him, but certainly struck him. I think off the back fence. I think it rebounded off the back fence and hit the ball boy. Now, this stops Brody in her tracks and she goes over to the umpire and essentially pleads for the umpire to default Ostapenko. This is a, is a genre of aggro that I'm not sure I've seen before, <laughs> sort of asking for your opponent to be defaulted. Now, the umpire asserts that the racket slipped out of Ostapenko's hand and it was a total accident. And Brody says, you'll see on the replay, no way was it accidental. She's getting more and more emotional. The WTA supervisor comes onto court and it's, it's, it's a real scene. And Brody is, Brody is saying, you have to default Ostapenko. That is, that is against the rules, what she just did. Ostapenko kind of stands at the back of the court and then she gets a code violation and she gets annoyed about that, getting a code violation. So this this whole scene takes place. And Brody is in tears at this point. She is she's really upset by this what she thinks is an in, is an injustice. Um 
now it doesn't it doesn't stop there the the aggro um brody hits an ace on the next point and fist pumps and stares at ostapenko and at this point the whole crowd is on brody's side there's an incredible atmosphere and they they really seem to be supporting brody in this um brody manages to win the tie break and something i'd forgotten is that ostapenko then goes 5-1 up in the deciding set and then Brody starts mounting another comeback and she comes back from 5-1 down and wins it 7-5. She wins six games in a row, <laughs> which just sort of adds to Ostapenko's sort of, well, she's just had it, Ostapenko, with Brody at this point, totally. And then everyone's on alert for the, for the handshake and it, it doesn't disappoint. Ostapenko gives Brody short shrift and kind of petulantly does a handshake and walks over to her chair. Brody takes issue with this, says, you threw your racket at the ball, ball boy. You should have been defaulted. Celebrates very, very enthusiastically in front of Ostapenko. They start having words back and forth while they're packing their bags. And some of the facial expressions and the stills from the end of that match are incredible honestly go on go on youtube and watch the last i mean just watch the whole clip but especially the end of the match i think is particularly funny the way they are having it out with each other it's, it's kind of something I'd, I'd never seen before at the end of a match ostapenko does good face doesn't she really good as does brody can you can you settle it for us matt was it accidental it's accidental that it hits the ball boy for sure but I, I think she chucks her racket. I think she. I think she deliberately flings it uh, with kind of disregard for where it's going. Which, according to the rules, is a default if it if it hits. Yeah, someone. I mean, I would say it comes under a player dangerously throwing a racket because it could have done a reasonable amount of harm. Um, so I, I think Brody was probably was probably in the right there. I mean, there's kind of two camps. I think some people will say that. It's not Brody's position to to say, and she shouldn't be trying to get her opponent disqualified. But others will say she saw an injustice and she's trying to stand up for it. I suppose in football it happens all the time, don't doesn't it? Players are pleading pleading for for opposition players to be given red cards or second. You know, it's just par for the course. But it's so un tennis. Mm. And. Um, the drama continued on Twitter afterwards. <laughs> Naomi Brody put out three tweets with a little, a little statement saying, just to put the record straight, it was not me causing an argument after the match. I was told how terrible my behaviour was from my opponent. It's hard to know when to stick up for yourself and when to keep your mouth shut. I'm human. We live and learn. Thanks to everyone in the WTA community and on social media who support me. Hashtag on to the next one. Quite a lot of players Ooh, started weighing successful in. Successful hashtag. Yes, better than us. Perhaps she was making a point. I know how to hashtag. Um, <laughs> Elise Cornet weighed in. Of course she, she did. Of course she she did. loves a weigh in. <laughs> well done, Naomi Brody. You got the best answer to such behaviour. Elena Vesnina. Well done, Naomi Brody. You got it right, way girl. Christina Mladenovic said it's not her first oh, yeah. time to behave like this. <laughs> I experimented that too at Wimbley last year. Great fight and win, girl. Uh, Julia Glushko said, same here. Horrible behaviour during our match at the US Open. So disrespectful. Well done, Naomi. And then again, 
Keegan Radenovich came in, said education, respect, manners and attitude. You have it or not. (laughs) (laughs) And then Andy Murray said, what a great start to the year for Naomi Brody. One of the nicest women you'll meet. Totally right to stick up for yourself today, too. Slightly, slightly more diplomatic from Murray. But yeah, I'd forgotten about all the post-event Twitter aggro. And it's funny because, as I said before, Ostapenko is, she's on the tour, but she's not a hugely known quantity, and yet she's already got this reputation. She's she's sort of 16 or something, and she's got Nadenovich telling her she can't learn manners. <laughs> you're either born with manners or, or you're not. <laughs> uh, which my dad would disagree with. Um, crikey. Yeah. I mean, until Ostapenko won the French Open, that was still what I most knew her for. Hmm. Yeah, I I think I was commentating for BT on that day on another match in Brisbane because we used to cover the Brisbane tournament. But then we had the pictures come in from there showing that and... I mean, we were loving it every, every minute of it, you know. Um, it's funny, I mean, I've spoken to Naomi about it bef- since then. On, I've sometimes tried to wind her up a bit on air and try to get her to talk about it, and she's she's backed away. And actually, I would say she's been quite defensive of Ostapenko and said since then that she's a nice she's a nice player, a nice person, you know. And 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 you know, yes, it was. It was a flare-up, but she wasn't about to go and stick the boot in afterwards. It it's seemed possible to me. she f- she felt uncomfortable with the pile on afterwards. That yeah, always makes yeah, something well, feel a bit yeah. Naomi's uh, I, she's really nice uh, and um, and a, a decent person, I think. And I think she yeah she wouldn't want she wouldn't want to see that mm. really in 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 the hindsight she, of it all. She was very young, Ostapenko, wasn't oh, yeah, she? She would I have mean, been sort of. Seventeen, eighteen at yeah, most. Then. Very young, very young. I mean, I'm not saying she's not, you know, still a bit like her. that. <laughs> still a bit like that, but um, yeah, there's there's been some personal growth, certainly. Yeah. Um, we're the get, entrance. We're getting to the we're getting to the business end now, David. Yeah, yeah, we are in uh, at two. Oh, I had a lot of fun researching this. <laughs> Um, 2014, we're going back to the ATP finals uh, and the semi-final of it between Roger Federer and Stan Wawrinka. It has been an absolutely appalling tournament so far. Every match has been straight sets, no classics, no fun, no interest. Was was this the tournament where, Matt, do you think the worst match ever took place? No. No, that was... That was four editions later. Four I would suggest later. that there were, there were definitely <laughs> there were contenders, contenders in this one. I mean, the, and it was the whole week. There were just appalling matches. Um, was and this the one got... where Ferrer came in as an alternate and played... Oh, and qualified. And, and suddenly played a three-setter. Like, it was like, Can't oh, remember. thankfully Ferrer is here. This is what it's come <laughs> I mean, to. We need the Ferrer. The only thing I re- remember from it, and, and I listened to, we, we'd started the podcast by then, and I listened to our, our edition of the podcast the day after what should have been the final of this tournament. And and we were really only had this match to talk about because it was the, it's the only thing that you remember the whole edition of it for. Um, and just to, yes, to give. Because there wasn't a final. No. There was uh, just. We'll, we'll get on to that. Right, yeah. Um, but I mean, if just to briefly run you through 
where we were, Stan Wawrinka is playing just glorious tennis. He's knocking Federer off the court. He's He wins the first set 6-4. He has three match points. Federer saves them, takes the second set 7-5. There's a big row between Wawrinka and the umpire Cedric Morier, um, who, who's intervening a bit too much for... Uh, for Vavrinka's liking and it's close all the way through the third set it really is a cracking match full house inside the O2 gets to five all in the third Vavrinka has another breakpoint chance to lead 6-5 Federer saves it gets back to Juice um, and then just as he's about to serve again at Juice Federer Vavrinka looks to his right and and something uh, and something's just slightly distracted him and then Federer goes into his service motion and then Varinka completely pulls away and and won't allow the serve to be taken place and he starts talking to somebody to his right you you see this in on the TV screen and umpire Cedric Moria asks what's going on and now, in hindsight, I know what's happened. He He's staring, shaking the racket at the Federer player box where Roger Federer's wife, Mirka, is sitting. And he's he's basically said, don't shout out before he's about to serve. And she goes, cry baby. <laughs> and uh, Stan turns around to the umpire and says, did you hear what she said? And cont- And he's shaking his head. Uh, the commentators don't really pick up on it at the time other than to say he needs to be careful not to let outside influences distract him because you can't really tell what's going on, I don't think, if you're the commentator in the commentary box. I remember on radio, we 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 could tell something was going on. We just didn't know it was with her. We knew it was some, with somebody in the player box of, of Roger Federer. Um, Varinka then gets it into a final set tiebreak. He has a match point, a fourth one, doesn't take it, Federer turns it around, wins it 8-6, decent enough handshake. Um, and then the following day, I remember the build-up to the final is shrouded in mystery because players aren't because Federer hasn't gone to his practice court yet. Um, the crowd's filling up, and then suddenly Roger Federer walks out onto the court and tells a full house that he's not playing and that he's got an injury, and I think he's got a back problem. Um, and, uh, he, he, I mean, it was, it was probably the worst reaction from a pro Federer crowd I've ever heard in, in a situation like this, they weren't happy. There was a lot of people really, really upset. Um, tournament did a really good job to get a, get Andy Murray to come in specially to play against Novak Djokovic in an exhibition. They had a doubles with Makina and Cash and Henman as well. Um, and the, the lovely thing was that Federer and Stan, both had the Davis Cup final the following week um, where they were going to be teammates. Now, listening back to our podcast from 2014, I'd, f- I'd forgotten this, that I was down in the, the locker room area standing next to, sorry, terrible name drop, standing next to John McEnroe, who was um, there for, for ESPN. And we were, I, I was going off to interview somebody. He was going off to his commentary box and we got stopped near the locker room in a way that we would never normally be stopped, so sort of the corridor was blocked off, and it but it turned out, or at least the belief is that Federer and Vavrinka were having it out in in a room to the side of this corridor about this incident, um, and Simon Briggs 
was right on this situation. <laughs> and uh, and he reports, the details of the bust-up between Roger Federer and Stan Wawrinka on Saturday night became clearer yesterday as well-placed sources attested that the two men found themselves thrashing out their differences in the O2 Arena, uh, the O2 Arena gym. Information has now come to light about the aftermath of the match when Federer and Vavrinka were encouraged by senior tennis figures to put the issue to bed at once. The two men conducted a heated 10-minute debate in which Federer was understood to be the more assertive party. The tension was not fully resolved, but they have agreed to concentrate on their shared goal of defeating France in the Davis Cup final, which starts in Lille on Friday. Following day, another piece from Simon Briggs says, while the initial Telegraph sports story was based on personal testimony from those near the centre of events, the picture become, became clearer on Tuesday with the aid of broadcasting footage. The following conversation was caught by the microphones in the second set. Cedric Morier saying, I didn't hear anything, Stan. And Vavrinka saying, that's because I wasn't on their side of the court. She did the same thing at Wimbledon. Every time I'm on their side, she mouths off before the serve. It's insufferable. So that's, that's what was reported by Simon Briggs. Uh, off the two players go to the Davis Cup final, bearing in mind Roger Federer has yet to win the Davis Cup. So it's a huge deal. You've got 27,000 people in Lille. And they hold their team press conference with Vavrinka and Federer sitting side by side and a, a full press gallery asking questions of them. And the exchange went like this. We had a conversation after the match and everything's totally relaxed about the situation. We're old enough. Um, I just wanted to see if there was any hard feelings because it was... Uh, it's clearly a lot of noise and um, and yeah, like I said, there's no hard feelings whatsoever and uh, we're having a good time here. We are friends, not enemies, but obviously it was maybe one of those moments, heat of the moment situations, but I think uh, you did a very nice job of making it really big, but uh, I don't think uh, from this point forward uh, there's much to say about it anymore. I would just like to ask Stan as well, because the umpire on Saturday night, Cedric Murier, has given an interview today, Stan, where he says that you said it was Roger's wife that was talking to you during the match and that he could see you were clearly annoyed by it. Is uh, that the first, case? I'm not sure he's allowed to talk, but uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's his fun. But, uh, yeah, as Roger said, I think uh, first thing that uh, we had no problem together. We talk uh, already about that straight after the match, uh, not only about that, about many things. And uh, we know how to deal when, when we have a, a small thing like that. And it's, it's become a big deal because of the press, because of you. But for us, it's... it's it's nothing really. It's it's. Uh, it took us five minutes to talk about that and to think about the next uh, next main goal that we have. It's the Davis Cup this weekend. So that was uh, Russell Fuller asking the questions for BBC Radio Five Live, and I, I do. It was. It's not on the clip there, but I do recall Russell asking a th- a, another follow-up question to Roger Federer about it. At which point <laughs> Federer had had enough, and uh, and. I can't remember exactly what he said to him, but he basically stared at him and said, have we had enough now? Or something like that. <laughs> Russell style. Yeah, it was It was. You got another question. <laughs> <laughs> I think Russell had started his previous question with last question, and then he tried to get another one in, and Federer said, right. you said the last one was your last question. Ooh. 
Yes, that 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 was it. Um, but very good job, Russell, for for the line of inquiry because it's not <laughs> easy. I tell you, when these players are staring you down like that, especially someone like Federer. My my favourite part of that story, whole story is um, Simon reporting that um, ATP officials were encouraging them to hash it out in the gym, like sort of what they'd sort of handed over boxing gloves and ushered them into a ring, like. <laughs> I, I, I just yeah just people standing like were they selling tickets <laughs> that would be a good idea uh i mean the thing is they they then did join forces at the davis cup and were fantastic they won the davis cup and they've always seemed really good teammates but i mean i think it it, it tells me two things one one is roger federer's wife Merker. i mean she's such a fierce supporter of his and she I mean, she used to run his career as a as a manager as well before before they needed a bit more help on the manager management side ten, twelve, fifteen years ago, whatever it was. Um, and she's yeah, she's she's going to say what she thinks. And with Stan, he's not afraid to fall out with people in a match. It doesn't matter who it is. People that I think he would call his friends. In the red mist of a match, I've seen him do it with Songa and um, all sorts of people that you really aren't quite expecting him to to fall out with, and it'll happen. Um, but they they did appear to be able to put that behind them. But it was um, oh, it's wonderfully awkward. <laughs> Would he fall out with Federer though? I mean, he's got the sort of outside agent in Merca here as a, as someone to fall mm. out with. I wonder whether that if it was just Federer that had been involved in the aggro, whether whether it would have been different. Wasn't wasn't there when they played at the Australian Open recently, and Federer went off for a long off court injury timeout for his back. Yeah, that was 2017, wasn't yeah, it? 2017. Wasn't that, it wasn't quite aggro, but I felt like Stan made it clear that he w- yeah. wasn't loving that. Yeah. I think Stan could fall out with anybody, mm. Federer included, if he thinks somebody's been out of order and if he's particularly wound up enough just mm. in the match. Which is great. We need that. Don't retire anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. But, I, but I, the other thing is I, I tend to think with Stan, you can have it out like that. And then he can put it behind him, yeah. and move on he, he, with anybody. He's a, he's a kind of a grown up about it, isn't he? It, mm. it, it, grown up about the childishness of aggro, if that makes sense. <laughs> Our favourite um, kind. <laughs> um, I also love him being able to use the word in in, in the heat of the moment, say insufferable. In well, in his I think he was second speaking language. French. I think he was speaking French. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I can't imagine him in English saying, I mean, his English is good, but... No, it was very much translated. Ah, sure. Right. Not by Simon, I don't think. No offense, Simon. (laughs) Uh, Excellent reporting, Simon, on that incident. I I love it when a really petty thing is reported like it's very, very serious. (laughs) It's great. I was hoping that this year with no fans we'd get a bit more heckling from the player box mm. i thought that might be a side benefit that mm. it's been disappointing yeah hasn't so the it? coaches having to keep a lid on their emotions they might struggle with that and we might get a bit of to and fro between players and opposing player boxes no all we've had is uh uh mr kennan 
sitting uncomfortably yes. close to who was it he sat uh, next Emmanuel to? Plonk. Oh yes. Well, I mean, that was what worth... a weird, weird double act. <laughs> that was worth it having no sound on it, just the visual. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, never mind social distancing. Even, even in normal times, it's weird. Which brings us finally to number one and a certain Monsieur Daniil Medvedev. And I couldn't distill Daniil Medvedev into one incident. Um, so there's sort of a little a little prelude Daniil Medvedev moment, and then there is there's the big one, um, and you probably know what's coming. But we'll deal with the prelude first. Um, and look, I'm very aware that there are other Daniil Medvedev incidents predating this one that uh, don't sit within our parameters for this aggro list because they're not funny and they are unpleasant. And whilst I think Daniil Medvedev deserves credit for kind of taking responsibility for those and being ashamed of them, admitting that he's ashamed of them and saying he's trying to grow as a person, um, we're not ignoring the fact that Daniil Medvedev has a bit of a checkered past. We're just, in the spirit of this series, focusing on the more smile-inducing moments of his uh, his agrotastic career to date. Um, so, for your little your little appetizer, I take you to Miami 2018 and a first round match on a pretty small outside court. Um, the coverage of this match was, it was just a couple of cameras, really. I think sort of really in the know tennis people were were watching it, but it you know wasn't one of the main ones being covered by TV or anything. It's a first meeting between Sitsipas and Medvedev, and I, I googled this several times because I was sure that there must have been some sort of history between them going into this match. I Googled their junior careers. I thought, well, okay, if they've never met on tour, they must have some illustrious junior backstory. Turns out they'd never met in juniors. So I don't know whether they just didn't like the cut of one another's jib, but it felt tense throughout. Um, Medvedev beats it to pass 2 6 6 And then this happens. Man, you better shut your fuck up, okay? Lenny, Lenny. Hey, Stefanos, you want to look at me and talk? Lenny, 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 Lenny. You have some problems? You go emergency toilet for Lenny. five minutes during, and then you say, and you, then you hit let, and you don't say sorry, you think you're a good kid? Look at me. Hey, look at me, huh? You don't look at me. He started it. He started it. I know, but stop. He started it. Yes, but... Yes, he started it. He said bullshit Russian. You think this is normal? I answer him because he doesn't know how to fight. He's a small kid who doesn't know how to fight. If he doesn't say anything, I have no problems with him. But if he says something to me and he wants to fight, he needs to do it. He doesn't look at me I love the way the umpire's like, if I speak to him in French, maybe that will calm him down. Um, 
Now, I think what Daniel Medvedev is trying to explain happened there is that in his dejection at losing the the close match, and we're all very familiar with dejected Tsitsipas, he walks over to his chair and mutters the words bullshit Russian um, aimed at Medvedev, which just isolated in itself is spectacular aggro because Tsitsipas is of Russian descent. Um, so not only sort of um, xenophobic, but ironically xenophobic. Um, and Medvedev doesn't like that insult very much, which I completely uh, sympathise with. That's not a great thing to say. Um, but his response to it is to very much seem to want to to actually get into fisticuffs with him. And, um, and apologies to uh, David's mum here, uh, for the poor language, which I'm going to repeat, and and other people everywhere that don't like swearing, but shut your fuck up is being added along with um, I've got big beef uh, to my <laughs> list of expressions to use in future personal aggro. <laughs> and uh, quite right as well. I think for this occasion, my mum will will overlook it. Catherine, um, I appreciate that. Yeah. And, and wasn't it a load of Sitsipas neck cords that really got Medvedev yeah, annoyed? He didn't. He wasn't apologising <laughs> for neck cords, and it really was riling him up. Yeah, I mean, and look, Sitsipas, even at this point on tour, and he was, you know, pretty new to the tour still at this point. He was developing a bit of a reputation for low level gamesmanship. I remember a match um, with Shapovalov in Miami, I think it must have been the following year, where he was tapping his racket on the court midpoint, um, sort of Fabio Fanini style. And that's what uh, Murray was accusing Fanini of in, in Shanghai, of making a noise when he was about to go and go and hit the ball. And Shap- I remember Shapovalov sort of implying he does this a lot. Um and that's something Medvedev references there, isn't it? He's like, oh, you, you think you're such a nice kid. You know, you, everybody goes on about what a nice kid you are. It's kind of like a, I want to set the record straight a bit and let the world know that you just called me a bullshit Russian and that's not on. Um, it's, 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 <laughs> so, it's quite disappointing to me how their rivalry has developed. They have backed away from the aggro they mm. clearly don't well, like each other well so yes so Medvedev beat that was the first of three wins for Medvedev over to pass that year including uh, in the second round of the US Open we'll come on to the US Open very shortly I promise um and the head-to-head got to 5-0 and in Medvedev's favour before they met at the 0-2 in 2019, of course, um, the tournament that Sitsa Pass went on to win, still his biggest tournament victory to date. And after that victory for Sitsa Pass over Medvedev, and it was huge for him because it had got in his head, as as it does. You know, he thinks Felix Auger Eliassime is the greatest of all time because he can't figure out a way to beat him. These these matchups do get into his head. He said afterwards, our chemistry definitely isn't the best on tour. It's not that I hate him, but we won't be going to dinner together. I respect him for sure. He's a Grand Slam finalist, so that takes a lot of respect from me to him. So he kind of is admitting. That is not cutting it for me. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't think think Sid Surpass really works like that. I think in the... He was just... 
fuming that he didn't win. Well, also yeah. by... Medvedev does. Oh, yeah, but, Medvedev but does. Also, remember, by this point, Nick Kyrgios has tried to act as a sort of relationship mm, counsellor. the private chair. Do you remember that? Yeah, do you remember that period in the summer <laughs> when... Uh, <laughs> relationship counsellor. Kyrgios has won the singles title in Washington and he's played doubles with Sitsipas. That was where Stefanik was born. Um, the not very successful Stefanik, but the very entertaining uh, doubles partnership. And then in order to get from Washington to, to Montreal very hastily, uh, Kyrgios seems to arrange a private jet and invites both Medvedev, who he'd just beaten in the Washington final, and Sitsipas together onto the private private jet. And there are all sorts of uh, Instagram posts about very harmon- that look very harmonious. Um, and yeah, so so maybe s- some slight slight repair works were done by Nick Kyrgios. Maybe he sat them down, and or maybe he did what the ATP officials did <laughs> at the O2 in 2015, and sort of handed them some gloves and sold tickets. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so that's your little Medvedev appetizer with a side of Sitsipas. But of course, when it comes to Daniil Medvedev, there is. There is really only one winning moment. And I say moment, it's probably a week's worth of moments and clips that I sometimes still play to myself when I want to channel a certain type of energy. Um, so Medvedev is is coming into the 2018 US Open on an extraordinary run. Uh, he's been a finalist in Montreal. He's won the title in Cincinnati. Um, he's, you know, he's he's kind of the man. In round three, it's a night session match on the Louis Armstrong Stadium court. And he's playing for, actually, no, I think it's a grandstand, isn't it? He's playing, uh, he's playing Feliciano Lopez and it's a heck of a match. Um, very tight one as well. During the first set, Medvedev very angrily grabs a towel from a ball kid and it's, it's pretty unpleasant and, and aggressive. Um, and he see, receives a code violation for it. Fine. <laughs> Medvedev doesn't like that very much um, and responds by sort of tossing his racket um, towards his bag. Fine. Um, and then <laughs> I, I'm sure he thinks he's being subtle, but of course there's sort of about 15 cameras on him at this time. Uh, gives the umpire the finger <laughs> up against his face. He sort of gestures, sort of pretends that he's just putting his hands to his face in a sort of, mm, I'm thinking about something very deeply expression. But actually, <laughs> only his middle finger is elevated in the direction of the umpire, which is spectacular. Didn't Nick Kyrgios change his Twitter picture to that? <laughs> <laughs> Did he? Yeah. Well, that is amazing. It's, I mean, it's, you know, it's the naughty kid at school, isn't it? It's just, yeah, <laughs> it's just brilliant. Um, and at this point, the crowd just completely take against him. There's no, there's just no coming back from this moment. And Medvedev's not interested in coming back from that moment. You know, you can tell he's, he's fired up by it. He's fired up by the energy. Medvedev goes on to win that match in four incredibly close sets. Um and he immediately goes to the centre of the court and he's waiting for it. He's begging for it. He can't wait for the interviewer to come onto court and give him his moment. And I, 
I have I've been unable to find out who this interviewer is and bless him. <laughs> He's been given a tough gig here, but I yeah, this is this is what transpired. atmosphere in here you're through to the next round talk to us about your emotions and how you're feeling well uh first of all what i can say that thank you all guys because your energy tonight give me the win because if you were not here guys i would probably lose the match because i was so tired i was cramping yesterday it was so tough for me to play so i want all of you to know when you sleep tonight i won because of you this atmosphere you're through to the fourth round uh, putting together a good year after a victory in Cincinnati and actually your best Grand Slam tour today since obviously the Australian Open you're doing well out here yeah but uh, again the only thing I can say that the energy you're giving me right now guys I think it will be enough for my five next matches I mean the more you do this the more I will win for you guys thank you sign some balls and hit him into the crowd for us. Uh, I will try but I'm not sure I can. Ladies and gentlemen, let's hear it one more time for Daniil Medvedev. Probably should have left out the ball signing bit, I reckon. <laughs> I totally forgotten the way. There's a perfectly reasonable second question comes in. <laughs> he just completely blanks it. You can, you can see the interview thinking, keep it light, keep it light. Just don't change we, course, ask the questions that you'd planned to ask. Yeah, how can we get this back on, <laughs> on a different And then at the end, course. as if it's the ultimate troll, he says, let's hear it one more time for Daniil Medvedev. <laughs> like, mm. one more round of booze, everyone, please. Fantastic. Um, and it's just the <laughs> ultimate in what our definition of aggro is. Pantomime and a player just owning it completely it's the epitome of owning it and that is just so alluring and yeah his just know when you sleep at night that I won because of you (laughs) is will will always be one of the greatest tennis quotes um and it it doesn't end there um because uh he then beats Dominic Kupfer in the fourth round to qualify for the the quarterfinals um and this one was more about the victory celebration than the speech and it's it's quite well summed up by uh by this bit of commentary uh from espn in the moment of victory and the little strut and dance as Medvedev looks up toward these Toward the crowd, and he gets the reaction that you might have anticipated. I'm not sure why he did that, because he actually had worked the crowd back on his side. Congratulates Kepfer, points back to the court, up into the air. Basking 
in the booze. <laughs> and just as a reminder to Daniil, you don't need to ask for it in New York City. They'll give it to you anyway. Basking in the booze. That's a good line. He, uh, so he does the dance, which I love. And I, I feel, I, I have this um, pit in my stomach concern that I have killed the Medvedev victory dance because uh, when he came to the O2 um, at the end of 2018, uh, no, sorry, 2019. I said 2018 earlier, didn't I? I meant 2019. And when he came to the O2, obviously qualified there for the first time. And we now know he was completely running on fumes and unable to compete. In my pre-tournament interview with him, I very excitedly said, will you do the dance? Will you do the dance when you when you win matches? And he sort of, he could see the sort of desperation in my eyes and his face sort of said, <laughs> oh God, she really wants the dance, doesn't it? And he sort of went, yeah, yeah, okay, maybe I'll do the dance. And then he didn't win a single match and we've never seen the dance again. Um, or any celebration ever again. <laughs> Now yes. he's got another new signature. Yes, which is also great. Um, so yeah, he yeah he does the dance, goes to the middle of the court, and he just um, like uh, Tim Robbins when he escapes from Shawshank, stands in the middle of the court, raises his arms into a wide V, and gazes upwards. Um, very clearly inviting the booze from the crowd. And yeah, there's no better way to put it than just, but he's bathing in the booze. He's marinating in them. <laughs> it's, it's so glorious. And then, and then he, he wins through his quarterfinal with Vavrinka. That's pretty uneventful in terms of booing. By this point, unfortunately, the New York crowd are sort of trying to take him under their wing. He gives a slightly odd post-match interview where he says, uh, well, that was a mere weird match, wasn't it, everyone? I'm sorry that it was so weird. I My thigh was hurting and he obviously knew my thigh was hurting and it's always weird to play an injured opponent. Um, yeah, like a really, just a weirdly sort of self-aware um, interview, which he's, you know, he's kind of known for now. Beats uh, Dimitrov in the semi-finals and then, of course, plays that final against Rafael Nadal where he seems down and out two sets to love down um, I mean he's been held together by sticky tape uh, for most of the tournament by this point um, every clip that I looked at from this tournament he seemed to have uh, tape on a different different body part um, and of course this was this was after Cincinnati where he received treatment on his arm for acute lack of bicep um, <laughs> which is an all-time great commentary line. Um, and then he fights back, seemingly from nowhere. And uh, as we'll hear in his uh, victory speech here, which isn't agrotastic, but it is, it it brings the Medvedev 2019 US Open agro story full circle. And I think the the loveliness of and quirkiness of this speech kind of makes what went before it even even more wonderfully agrotastic. Here it is. Yeah, first of all, uh, I just want to congratulate Rafa. 19th Grand Slam title is uh, something unbelievable, outrageous. Uh, I want to congratulate him and, and his team. You, you guys are doing an amazing job. I mean, the way you are playing 
is a big joke. <laughs> it's very tough to play against you. And you know, when I was uh, looking uh, on the screen uh, and they were showing number one, number two, number 19, I was like, if I would win, what would they show? <laughs> so. And uh, again, what you've done for tennis in general, I mean, I think 100 million of kids watching you play want to play tennis, and it's amazing for our sport. Thank you, and congrats again. How did you do it? What did you do late in the third set to turn this around and get yourself into a classic match? To be honest, in my mind, I was already okay. Uh, what do I say in the speech? Uh, it's going to be soon, in 20 minutes. Uh, losing in three sets in the first final, you know. Trying to give a, a fight, but not really. And so I was like, okay, anyway, I have to fight for every ball and uh, I have to see how it goes. It went far, huh? but uh, unfortunately it didn't go my way. And uh, I want to talk about you guys. I know... Uh, I know earlier in the tournament I said something kind of in a bad way. Now I'm saying it in a good way. It's because of your energy, guys. I was here in the final. (laughs) And I mean, tonight is going to be always... uh, in my mind because I played in the biggest court uh, in tennis world and in the third set where as I say I was already thinking uh, which speech should I give you guys were pushing me to to prolong this match because you want to see more tennis and because of you guys I, I was fighting like hell Congratulations. I think you're going to have a nice and long relationship with the crowd in New York. Yeah, as I said, it's electric. I, uh, you were booing me for a reason. I never said that it was not, but uh, you guys see that I, I can also change because I'm a human being. I can make mistakes. And again, thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. And now all we're left with are the memories and the metronomic winning of titles. Who knows, though? Who knows? Maybe it'll happen again one day, but it'll never happen quite like that, will it? Because it can never be the first time. Do you know what it reminded me of uh, listening to that? was uh, Rocky IV, when Rocky Balboa goes to Russia to fight Drago. And the crowd are booing him when he comes in and he wins the fight. And at the end he goes, if I can change, you can change. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone can change. (laughs) It's so great, isn't it? And, and, And in that speech... Where he's where he's saying, "Oh, I can't, can't wait to come back and develop my relationship with the crowds." That suddenly feels so poignant. Oh, now. God, yeah, sure does. Yeah, that's what we need first, isn't it? Crowds back. I think if, if if there's a running theme of lots of these aggro, it's that it's often crowd provoked or crowd enhanced as well. Yeah, we can't rely on players' boxes to create aggro. <laughs> we need we need the general public. Yeah, 
So bring back crowds, bring back aggro, bring back tennis. It's coming. Yeah, it's coming. And uh, yeah, we, we can actually, how many shows have we done with no tennis this year? <laughs> it's <laughs> a, it's becoming even, our specialty, David. Even since the, the ATB finals, <laughs> it seems to have been a lot of talking and not a lot of action. <laughs> yeah, <still. laughs> next podcast, we're going to be talking about actual tennis, mostly uh, preview material, but we'll have been to press conferences remotely, of course, we'll... Yeah, we'll have actual tennis to talk about and look forward to. Um, but my God, it's been a pleasure to do the aggro. And I really feel, I don't know, every, t- every time I see that clip of Medvedev basking in the booze and saying, I won because of you, I just, I feel like I get a shot in the arm of something. I can't, can't. Feel alive. Yeah, I can't, yeah, <laughs> can't adequately describe it, but it's, it's great. And I hope I hope we see it again, Daniil, in some in some form, even if it's sort of evolved. Um, and I definitely hope we see that dance again. Mm-hmm. I feel like it already has evolved with his no celebration. I think. Yeah, I mean that is cool. It's really cool. Yeah. I don't think I we've don't seen know. the end of. Anyway, thank you for uh, the mem- memories and good luck with the metronomic winning of titles. <laughs> Um, so yeah we'll be back on Thursday with our next podcast talking about tennis actual tennis Um, we will still have lovely Roxy as our pet weekly mascot because uh, well the clue's in the title weekly mascot so uh, Roxy (laughs) will be back on Thursday Um, I promised news of our presenter mascots didn't I at the top of the show so I think it's time for us to reveal and again more information will be in the newsletter and on social media but David you've scored yourself a feline yeah, called rogue. I mean, I I'm so buzzing. I've never been a rogue. You well, know, in my you're life. not a rogue. Yeah, but by association, I am. Now. We understand that rogue is named after an X Men character. So your homework for the week or for the year, if you like, is to watch some X Men films to oh, get up about, to speed. There's about ten of them, isn't there? Well, I think maybe you don't have to watch the whole franchise, oh, but just okay. enough so that. You, you meet Rogue. You meet I'll just Rogue, get Rogue yeah. to tell me about, to catch me up a bit. So anyway, welcome Rogue. David's very pleased to have you. Matt, you've scored yourself a good one. Yes, I have a name which will be familiar to tennis podcast listeners. Scousel Mousel is back. Our predictions mascot of, what year, 2019? Yeah. Is, is, is back and... Um, I'm I'm told that Scousel Mousel loves walking along the river by Craven Cottage. Oh, which well, that's is, right near me. Hang on. Yeah. Could I meet Scousel Mousel? I, I, no. I reckon you could. No. No, no, you, no. Well, you should, not at the moment. You should be Definitely a, not at the moment. You should be a big fan, David, because, of course, Scousel Mousel was the predictions mascot in the year that you won the predictions. Oh, well, I'll have claim then. So maybe, maybe you'll bring the same good luck to Matt this year, but I hope not because all that luck belongs to Zeus, my mascot for the year. And Zeus is the king of gods, isn't he? So, I mean, game over. Handy. <laughs> yeah. And he's from Medellin, Medellin which is where somewhere I, you've been. Yes, it's all, it's all perfect. It's all working. It's all very perfect. Yeah, Zeus was our US Open mascot for this year, and he's decided to upgrade. So good on you, Zeus. 
um, yeah, you can't can't beat the king of the gods. Uh, so those are our presenter mascots for the year. You'll be hearing plenty about them. We also have an executive producer for the year, and he's such a top bloke that he's got three names. They are Chris Albert and Lee. Hello, Chris Albert Lee. Yeah, very much so. Um, Thank you. I know that uh, you've um, been in, or Matt's been in touch with you on email this week, and I asked um, Matt for a summary of information about Chris Albert Lee, and he said he's a top bloke. So, yes. What more do you need? What more do you need? Top bloke, Chris Albert Lee. So, thank you very much for being our executive producer for the year. And finally, folks, it is the return of the shout outs. Who have we got? We have Alex Tresedern. Oh, thank you, Alex. Hello, Alex. We have Chris Wiley, who is someone I recognise from the back end of last year, not to be confused with Chris Whitty. Oh, yes, yes. Possible relation of Jordan Wiley. No. No. Okay. It's spelt differently, differently. I think. Okay. How about the yes. 1980s West Bromwich Albion manager Ron Wiley? How's that spelt, David? W-Y-L-I-E. That's the one. Ooh, that, I'd go, say that's a, quite an unusual spelling. That could be... We've got a match. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, thanks ever so much for your support. Hello, Chris. <laughs> and finally, Ailey Nicholson. Thank you, Ailey. There, well, there are a lot of Nicholsons, aren't there? She could be related to a lot of famous people. Are we talking Ailey... Uh, of Scottish. Scottish. It's a Scottish spell. It's a lovely name. How do you spell it? E I L I D H. Like oh, Ailey wow. Barber. That's cool. Yes. Mm. Yeah, we like that. Uh, thank you for being our first three shout outs for 2021. I almost said 2022 there. Oh, blimey. Um, Thank you very much. Thank you for everyone that's backed us. The Kickstarter is still open. Uh, Shout outs are available. Intros are available. Um, Beers are available for you to buy for us throughout the year. I know we're hoping 2021 will be better than 2020, but I still think we'll need some beers. Um, And by beers, I, of course, mean um, materials with which to produce top-notch podcast content. It's It's a euphemism. Um, so thank you for backing us thank you for listening I know this has been a bit of a monster pod but it's aggro it it warrants it we'll be back again on Thursday with tennis three exclamation marks to talk about we'll see you then a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com.